Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. I want to play our first segment here where we talked about a man who did the actual journey that the illegal immigrants take from Quito, Ecuador, all the way to Eagle Pass, Texas. Remarkable documentary that's available on Slater Radio on the Twitter. That's where we reposted it there. Um, and then after that, oh, I just want to encourage everyone to download the SiriusXM app so you can hear the whole show because after that, we had incredible calls. There's three types of segments. You have a, a guest, a monologue, and, a, and callers. Um, in the second segment, we had three service members call in and gave their insight into drones and boarding vessels at sea and army reserve. Like the, the three different military uh, points in question, the drone coming into Jordan, the Navy SEALs who drowned off Somalia, and what's it like boarding a ship, and then the U.S. reserves who were, uh, who were, who were killed the other day, right? Like, like, and we had three of the experts call in uh, on those three points. Boom, boom, boom. It's fantastic. Uh, I believe that was in the second segment, and you can uh, become a SiriusXM subscriber. You can listen to the entire three-hour podcast. But uh, here's our opening segment about the border and the actual journey. A lot to do today. So let's start with Iran. Tower 22, that outpost in northeast Jordan, right on the Syrian border there. I'm sure you've heard by now that that drone that came in and killed three Americans, they're saying that this enemy drone was coming in at the same time, one of our drones was returning back to base. So we didn't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means we didn't even know it was coming. Or like there were two. I don't know how you, how you don't see two. I don't, I don't get, I don't really get that story even. Like were they, were they both coming back or was the American one still out? And then the the enemy one was coming in, and we're like, "Oh, here comes the enemy one, or here, here comes the here comes our drone." But wouldn't our drone be out in the radar too? Like, I don't know enough how that. Obviously, I don't know how that works. If you're controlling the drone, who's controlling the drone? By the way, are they controlling it in Jordan, or are they in like somewhere here in America? I, I don't get how. Oh, they thought it was ours. How how do you think it's ours? Does anyone with any background in this can share some insight? That'd be great. And I don't know if that mistake. That that could be one of those like ah, like horrible chances. Like come on, or oh that's crazy inept. That's unbelievably inept by everyone involved. I don't know. I don't know where it is on that on that spectrum, but it, it's horrible, of course. Uh, three Americans: Sergeant William Rivers, forty six of Carrollton, Georgia; Specialist Kennedy Sanders, twenty four of Waycross, Georgia; and Specialist Brianna Moffat, twenty three of Savannah, Georgia. And they were all from a U.S. Army Reserve unit based out of Georgia. And the number now is at 40. 40 injured. It was 25 when they first told us. And there was 30-something yesterday. And now we're, at to, uh, now we're up to 40. 40 injured. And we don't know the severity of the injuries either. This is the 165th attack on us, on U.S. forces. 
Sanders' mother, she posted on Facebook, I just can't believe I'll never be able to hug and kiss my baby again. Life is so unfair. I just want my baby. Moffat's mother said, this is one of the saddest days of my life. With a heavy heart, I have to say that my angel, my firstborn, is going to be going out, going to be with God today. The pain will never go away, and my life has changed forever. I will never get to cook your favorite food. We will never get to talk on the phone, and I will never see you walk through my front door again. Just know that a piece of my heart and soul will always be missing. Love you, baby girl. Rest easy. Always will be my firstborn. So if American families were destroyed. This is a clip from the uh, Pentagon Deputy Press Secretary, who's gotten a lot of press lately. I don't know where this person came from. She's not as bad as Jen Psaki. Jen Psaki was horrific. And she was a, she was a Pentagon press secretary first. I remember seeing her. I was like, how did how did this girl get this job? And then she became the White House press secretary. I was like, oh wow, she got a promotion, and now she's on MSNBC. Here's the deputy press secretary for the Pentagon. Uh, what's her name? Sabrina Singh. Well, look, what we know is that we have been able to take capabilities off the table of these IRGC-backed groups. The capabilities that they had yesterday, they no longer have today. And so, yes, we do assess that we have been able to successfully disrupt and degrade their capabilities. By no means are we saying that we've taken everything off the map for them, but we have made it harder for them to launch attacks at our U.S. forces, whether it be in the Red Sea or in Iraq or Syria. Made it harder. They made it a little harder for them. Great job, guys. That's apparently the job of our military now is to uh, make it a little harder for the bad guys. A little bit. Not not make it impossible. A little harder. Apparently, our our new bar now is disrupt and degrade. (laughs) Like, what nonsense. Ridiculous talking points. Disrupt and degrade. No one ever talks like that. That's when you know someone's BSing you when they say words and talk in ways that they would never talk to you as like a normal person. Disrupt and degrade. Like you, you would never use that in a normal, normal context, normal life. You would never talk to your wife like that. You would never say that to your husband. Like, oh, like what happened to, um, I don't know, <laughs> like uh, the, the bullies at school. Oh, well, we disrupted and degraded them. Like you would never use those words ever. But that, that's, that's, our, that's what they spin to you, and, and people take it. People eat it. It's unbelievable. Here, eat this, eat this filth. And we're like, oh, okay. Disrupt, great. We've disrupted and degraded them. Unbelievable. So we'll talk more uh, about this later, just how, how unacceptable that is. Do you know there's I – just, I just opened Breitbart this morning, of course. And uh, Joel has a story. Here it is. Hamas rejects hostage deal. I'm thinking, hostage deal? Jeez. The uh, Hamas terrorist organization repeatedly rejected an Israeli offer Monday for a deal to free the remaining 132 or so hostages still in captivity in Gaza because the proposed agreement did not include a permanent end to Israel's counteroffensive. That was October 7th. So October, November, December, and now all of that. Four months? Four months. There's still 132 hostages. Think of all the stuff you've done since October 7th. Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year, all this. Since I, and, and these people are still hostages. That is, that is so pathetic. Like, and I don't know. Listen, I'm, I'm not a military guy. I don't know. 
I tend to, f- I'm a millennial, so I tend to fall for the trap that war is like a video game, right? It's like, well, A, A, B, B, up, down, left, right, and like win. Like, what's the problem here? So, like, I totally get that. But also, what are we doing? Man, the enemy, they laugh. They laugh at us. They're getting stronger. They're winning. I mean, that's winning. I don't know. Like, they're winning and they're emboldened. They laugh. Four months. Jeez. Talk more about it later. 866-95-PATRIOT, 866-95-PATRIOT. Uh, a bunch of people have sent me this video. It's 40 minutes. It's a 40-minute video. And listen, a lot of people have, have visited Eagle Pass, Texas. Big whoop. Groups of congressmen have gone to Eagle Pass, Texas. Uh, okay. Uh, people make a big deal, made a big deal when Elon Musk went to Eagle Pass, Texas. And I'm glad people are going and bringing attention to what's going on and looking at it themselves. And that's great. But it's always framed by the media as, oh, look at these people. They're risking their lives to go on an adventure. Look at them. Look at them go to the dangerous, uh, uh, you know, Eagle Pass, Texas. <laughs> you're like, I don't know, you're still in America. And you're still staying the night in a hotel. And you're going to get on a plane the next day. And it's. Not that adventurous just because you put on a cowboy hat and boots, but okay, great. I'm glad you're going, whatever. This guy, his name's Thomas Hicks. He went to Ecuador. He went to Quito, Ecuador. And he went on the entire journey that the illegal immigrants go on. From the the very beginning, from Quito, Ecuador. Apparently that's the start. Apparently, it's very easy to get into Ecuador, to fly into Ecuador. They, they don't ask for much out of people coming into the country, I guess. So, Quito, Ecuador. And the guy, he went there and then went with the illegal immigrants the whole way, all the way up to Arpora. That's impressive. I went to Google Maps and then made a video about it. I made a 40-minute documentary along the way. Uh, I put in Google Maps. I went Quito, Quito uh, Ecuador to Eagle Pass, Texas. There's, there's no route. Route or route, what do you say? There's no route, no route that you could drive between these two places. Google Maps is like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> Google Maps doesn't even want to figure it out. As high-powered as computers are these days, Google Maps is like, nah, too, I can't, I don't know. You have to uh, figure, use MapQuest, maybe they'll do it. Like, but Google Maps can't do it, too far away, very far away. So this guy goes to Ecuador, immerses himself with the illegal immigrant caravans, on this journey to Texas. Now, that's impressive. Went on the hikes. It's like a five-day hike through the jungle of Panama, among other portions of the journey as well, obviously. Uh, he said there's this, this campsite, the campsites in the jungle in Panama. It's the most disgusting place he's ever been in his entire life. Just full of garbage and feces. It's, just, it's, it's unfathomably disgusting. And he went on the entire, he went on the trains. It did the whole thing. Like crazy impressive. My in-laws are trying to get us to go to Indian Boundaries campsite for vacation in their RV for like four days. <laughs> it's like, ugh. Okay. <laughs> you know, this guy was in the jungles of Panama. I don't know how long the journey took. Maybe three weeks he focused a lot on the 
Chinese people he saw along the way. There's this hotel in Colombia that had Chinese language translated throughout the hotel. But the hotel put up signs in Chinese because there's, that's where the Chinese come in. There's a air, little airport there. And they stay at this hotel and the Chinese start their journey. When you land in Quito, Ecuador, it is full of posters and flyers from the United Nations. It's full of maps from the United Nations on how to get to America. Maps with all the, the aid centers and stations along the way and, and throughout the cities that they're, they're going to venture through. And it's like everything. So one of my expressions is movies in your head. Like we're always making movies in our head. <clears throat> Someone will tell you something's going on and we make a movie in our head. Like Tower 22. I mean, do you know what Tower 22 looks like? I've never seen a picture of Tower 22 until yesterday, right? So when someone's like, oh, well, Tower 22, it's an outpost in Jordan. I've never been to an outpost in Jordan. But we all make a picture in our head of what an outpost in Jordan looks like. And it's the same thing here with the border. It's like, oh, these people are coming from Ecuador. First of all, you have to like think of a map of South America in your head. You're like, where's Ecuador again? So you're like, okay, I think it's there. And then you're like making a map. You're making like images in your head of what you think this journey looks like. I say, oh, you're hiking through the jungles of Panama. There's a picture of what you think that looks like in your head. This guy did it. So you can actually see the video of it. I'll put it on my Twitter, Slater Radio on Twitter. Actually, let me just do it right now. Click, click, click. Boop. All right, Slater Radio on Twitter. So you can, you can follow along. So it's really cool to see. I shouldn't say it's cool. It's, it's important to see what this actually looks like for the people who are doing it. And to see how this is in, it, entirely created and supported and there's an infrastructure behind it and the UN's behind it giving aid to these illegal immigrants on their journey to the United States. This needs to be cut off immediately from Quito, Ecuador. Many other places along along the route as well, but Quito, Ecuador. Like you, you start there. You go to Ecuador. I don't know what our relationship is with Ecuador at the moment. We could talk to Francis Martel about that. But you go to Ecuador and you say, "That's enough of that." You go to the Colombian border. There, there need not be UN anything aiding illegal immigrants on their journey to the United States. Thank you very much, United Nations. What, what are you doing? Why, why, why are you undermining our sovereignty? You're not aiding people to go through the process legally. You, you are aiding and abetting the, the cartels to come into the United States. What, what, no. And if we don't have enough sway in these Latin and South American countries, then we are weaker than I ever thought. Maybe that's the, that's the deal. One of, one of the documents from, it's called the uh, United Nations International Organization for Migration, IOM. They hand out brochures on how to properly put on a condom. And this guy got all these documents. like Because like, he's, uh, I don't know, he looks Hispanic or something. So he's uh, like, like blended in. Him and his, look like his brother. Him and his brother went along with all that. Now, if you go to the UN International Organization of Migration website, there's a picture of an African woman and her two kids somewhere in Africa because there are massive movements of people all over the world. And that's, you know, we should, UN can do a great job helping people in Somalia, which will, because of Elon Omar, we'll talk about later, but great. If you, there's a migration of people out of Somalia and uh, whatever, Ethiopia, 
Sure, I, I, we, whatever. You can help those people. We don't need the UN making it easier to break into America from Ecuador. One of the documents from the, I, think, I don't forget if it's the Red Cross or the UN, it says if you're traveling on top of freight trains, and we've all seen that, see the people right crowded on top of the freight trains? It says if you, uh, w- when you get on a freight train, Make sure you, uh, make sure you're well rested, or not drunk, or on any medication that could make you drowsy. Here's what it says: If you go to sleep, you could fall. Take it in turns with your travel companions to rest and watch each other. So the, the Red Cross or you and whoever this document is. Is day two. Sorry, giving tips. I'll play that in a second. Giving tips on how to how to survive on top of freight trains, making his way to America. If this were all done for humanitarian purposes, then that would be discouraged. The UN and Red Cross and all the rest would be handing out flyers saying, "Hey, how about you don't climb on top of freight trains with your children, because that's pretty dangerous. How about you don't go to these cartel-controlled areas, because that's super dangerous. How about you don't hike through the Darien Gap for five days, because that's very dangerous here let us help you get settled in ecuador where you currently are at this very moment and by the way where you're also safe from whatever violence you are fleeing in your home country ecuador is nice why just here's what will help you stay in ecuador no no it's here's the make sure you don't take any medication before you hop on top of this freight train you might fall off so he goes through the journey to colombia goes to colombia and then he makes it to the um the Darien Gap. We've all heard of the Darien Gap. So you got to pay these human smugglers to get on a, you get you on a boat, and they ship you off to the Darien Gap through this jungle. And he said there's two routes you can take. One is two days. It's harder. And one is five days. So that's you know, harder in its own way. And I don't know if it's like this all the time, but it was thick with mud and, and just th- th- just slopping through mud through this jungle. And it's super dangerous because you're going to get trench feet. And along the way, he's asking people, say, where are you from? Oh, India, China, Pakistan. <laughs> it's like, what? Where are you going? United States, every single one. And this looks like a brutal hike. So this would be a super fun hike if you're doing it for the day. Uh, maybe if you uh, wanted to camp for a night or two in the middle of the hike with some nice gear, this would be a great hike to go on with the kids. But uh, that's all knowing you can go home soon. If this is uh, day f- 10 of your month-long journey and you don't even know what's next, where you're going, who's going to kill or rape you along the way, and you still have to hop on top of the freight train after this to get to a place, like that, that's not fun. So here he is in the jungle. About six or seven hours in on the day. Right now it's pouring rain. Uh, we've been filming, and the guides here, the Embra Indian guides, do not like that I have my camera. We're getting some really unfriendly looks from them. We just started getting them now. Uh, they've been a little bit suspicious of, of us all day, but now they saw me take out my camera, and I don't think they like it very much. So um, we're just going to have to hope for the best. They were telling me that, hey, you. 
that's one of the guides right there, actually. We just gotta be careful because these guides do carry weapons on them. They do carry pistols in their bags. And if they wanna do something, I mean, if they wanna rob me or take my camera or do something worse, they could do it with no consequences. So this is where we're at, the Darien Gap jungle. The lawless stretch of land connecting North and South America. <clears throat> and it's probably about three hours until we reach the next camp. Amazing. So then you get into Panama. And uh, at this point, he ran into a group of men. He asked what country they were from. And this is the first group of people, at least in this documentary. It's 40 minutes. I don't know if you call it a documentary. I, th I guess he's... Um, and it's the first group of people he encountered. And he said, hey, where are you from? And they said, no, 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 no. And they covered their faces. No, 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 no. Hmm. Why? Everyone else he asked, they're like, oh, India. Oh, whatever. This is the first group. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, you from Syria? You from Syria? No, 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 no. Every major stop along the way, more maps, more uh, UN, UNICEF, Doctors Without Borders, Red Cross, they're all there. They know exactly the route. They know where to go. So they hop on a bus. They get on buses through Nicaragua, Honduras, and Guatemala. They just speed right through those countries. Again, all opportunities to stop this. Then they get to the border of Mexico, and they have to uh, hook up with the Sinaloa cartel to get into Mexico. $125 each person to get smuggled into Mexico. And then this is when things get more uh, more professional, I guess. This is where they meet up with the caravan. So once they get into Mexico, they, they have the caravans now. And this caravan they met up with, is holding. they're, they're holding this giant banner. And it says, containment is my death. And that's their asylum claim. Oh, if, if, I, if I stay where I am, I'm going to die. So this caravan is organized by um, Pueblo Sin Fronteras, People Without Borders. Obviously a very open border group, People Without Borders. Uh, these are the people who organize. There's other groups, but this is one of the main groups that organizes these caravans in Mexico. There are 2,000 people in this group they start off with an eight-hour hike and people from all over south america surely all over the world in this hike as well so he asked them he said every every once in a while he's asking people hey what do you think about president biden and this group says oh president biden helps immigrants a lot biden means better future he said what do you think of trump said, oh no trump no bad bad trump trump uh doesn't like immigrants so he makes it to mexico city and he meets this group of people. There's maybe 20 people now in this group right here. And again, he asks uh, you know, about Biden and Trump. So you don't need to speak Spanish in order to understand uh, this conversation. In, in your opinion, President Biden, uh, ayuda migrantes mucho or no? See? Yeah, so, so in your opinion, your opinion de Biden is when, bueno or no bueno? Los, los migrantes de Venezuela y otros países, ¿te gusta el presidente Biden o no? Sí, sí, sí. Sí, sí. Okay. He's going to win the election again. More people will support Biden. Hey, and tu opinión, tu opinión de presidente Trump. No, no, he doesn't want no. immigrants. He doesn't like us. Te gusta Trump. No. Uh, okay, okay. 
y la elección uh, en uh, 2024. Es posible Biden y Trump. ¿Sí? Biden's going to come out again on top. He has to win because he helps him. Uh-huh. He helps us and, and God will bless him. Uh-huh. So, so, so todos migrantes, uh, ¿cómo se dice? ¿Cómo se, cómo todos migrantes apoye Presidente Biden en la elección? All the, all the migrants support Biden. Yes, yes. So he's in Mexico City. Then he get the cartels get him on the train in the middle of the night. It's 1 a.m. So you can, I mean, can you even imagine this train? just packed. So first they start on top of the train. So people are rushing to, to get a spot that they are less likely to die. Well, it's called the train of death. So uh, they get on the train and then some of them are able to hop in the train. And this is where you first see, uh, first I saw kids. And you got kids lying on the floor of the train. It's just metal floor. They're lying. It's kids in cages. It's the first kids in cages that we've seen. So here again, he's asking people Trump or Biden. And they're all, all for Biden, obviously. So at one point the train breaks down and they, they have to hike. They start hiking. So now he's getting close to America. So he's right at this, this he's right at a border. He's in a place called Mexico called Playa Baghdad. How about that for a horrible name? <laughs> Playa Baghdad. Ooh, it's in Mexico. Playa Baghdad. So he's at Playa Baghdad and uh, looks up and there's a giant rocket ship right in front of him. It's right over there. It's a huge rocket ship. Playa Baghdad is right on the border, and just on the other side of the border is the SpaceX launch site. How about that? So he's like, how about this? What if I could just walk right across the border at the SpaceX launch site? That would be crazy. So he starts to walk to the border, and a truck stops him. And uh, long story short, it turns out to be the cartel. And the cartel takes him because they didn't, he didn't pay at the cartel. So they took him, and he thought he was going to die. He's like, this is it. I'm going to get executed. And they ended up, they took him to a field and they smashed all of his gear and then they dropped him off at the legal border crossing and that was it. So that's his, uh, that's his journey. Pretty amazing. And do you need, I think, I just think it's important to see. I think it's important to be able to see it. So we're not making up movies in our head, but we can actually see uh, what it looks like. So the big, the big takeaway for me is how organized it is. How difficult it is, sure, but how organized it is. How many aid organizations, how many NGOs, non-governmental organizations, how many government organizations are there along the way helping, supporting, encouraging, promoting the entire process from Ecuador to here? That's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two for me, and I'm curious when you watch it if you have any other ones. Uh, takeaway number two for me is how many opportunities there are to stop this along the way. If you're going through 10 countries... You got, you got yourself 10 opportunities to, to make a stop. And it's just not, not happening, obviously. Why not? 866-95-PATRIOT. It's on Slater Radio. I don't mention my social media enough. Sorry. I don't do a lot of social media. I need to. Uh, pretty busy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Sorry. Uh, sorry uh, Slater Radio on Twitter, on Instagram, if you want to follow for when I do start doing it again. I just don't, I don't, anyway, I don't, I don't think well, like I, I can't, I don't do good on the Twitter. Like some people are made for Twitter. Some people can like fire off like really good tweets. Like I, I can't do this. I don't think that way. I don't know why I gotta get better at it. Um, same thing with Instagram. I'm just not good at it. So uh, anyway, Slater Radio on all those things. But I did just tweet out 
that uh, video, and uh, I recommend you you give it a watch. Slater Radio. The great Emma Jo Morris, we had her on to talk about some money in Ukraine and what a waste that is, but we ended up talking about so much so much more and so many more important things, talking about family and politics and the Afghanistan papers and, and how we should view people who lie to us all the time. I want to go right to our humble scribe, Emma Jo Morris. Emma Jo, how are you today? Hey, how's it going? Thank you great so time. much. Does anyone call you Emma or do you do you insist on Emma Jo or what do, what do people do? Um, Emma Joe, if we have an extremely formal relationship or you're my mother, Emma for everyone else. Emma for everyone else. <laughs> Is that right? Oh, I, I much prefer Emma Joe. You're like, I've been calling you Emma Joe this whole time. I, barely... <laughs> I, I prefer Emma Joe. Can I, can I do Emma Joe? Is that all right? I like Emma Joe yeah, way you more. You absolutely can. Wow. I so you say caveated for everyone also who loves Emma Joe. Okay, <laughs> that's right. Anyone else who prefers Emma Jo, I do. Um, so you wrote an article yesterday on Breitbart, and it's one of those I get maybe uh, one every day, every couple of days. When I read the article, and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it's this one of those like, wait, what? Yeah. What happened? I got to go back around. Tell us what happened with Ukraine. Well, that's kind of how I feel. So I just published exactly what um, I was told, which I guess is my role as a humble scribe. Um, not to parse words or try to analyze in my writing, but just mm -hmm. to humbly write down what uh, is said to me. So let me explain this story as best I can, because I don't fully understand it myself, just to say that at the outset. Um, I, I got a tip about um, a, Ukraine, a Ukrainian city that is... Uh, sorry, I, I don't mean to do this on air, but I'm getting feedback that's really hard to hear. Mm. to think with do you, uh, if, if there's a producer on the line that can maybe totally. try to fix that. 100%. I do not. Uh, Zach, do you hear it? It's very distracting. Okay. We don't. I apologize. Do you want to do, uh, do, you want to do a callback? Do you want to try to call back or power through? No, no, no. Well, the show must go on, as they say <laughs> in the business. Fair enough. Do the best um, you can. But anyway, so, okay. So I get a tip about this Ukrainian city that is building a condo on a cemetery. Um, it's building a condo on a mass grave of Jewish pogrom victims. Ah, the feedback went away. Thank you, producer Zach. Um, anyway, so they're building a condo on a, on a mass grave. And this is, by the way, while they're ostensibly in the middle of a, of a horrific war, they have new developments coming up. Hmm, so weird. anyway... Um, I, you know, I, I heard about this almost eight months ago. So I write a letter to the Ukrainian embassy and I'm like, Hey, uh, humble scribe here from Breitbart. I got a tip that says that you're desecrating dead bodies to build a condo in this city called Uman. What's up? Never hear back. So in the time since then, there has been movement, um, where a Supreme court in Ukraine has told them to halt, um, halt construction of the cemetery, and also three letters from U.S. Congress have gone out to the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, um, to ask him to 
preserve this cemetery. And there's been no response uh, from the Ukrainian side at all. And this thing has gone on as normal. And I got photos of it going on as normal um, just as recently as, as a couple weeks ago. So okay. I write up a story talking about how, you know, in violation of not only international law, but actually a bilateral agreement between the U.S. and Ukraine about the preservation of heritage abroad, uh, you know, this, this developer is digging up dead bodies uh, to build, to lay foundation for a condo. And Congress is upset about it. U.S. Congress is upset about it. And at the same time, they're taking $130 billion from the U.S. And Congress is currently debating $64 billion more billion from the U.S. to send to Ukraine for this war effort, all while... They're undermining this bilateral agreement and ignoring our members of Congress to build a condo on a mass grave. So anyway, I write this. I write this story. This is this is where it gets really weird. Um, all of a sudden, I, so I write this story, and all of a sudden, the Ukraine embassy, who has been ignoring me for eight months, frantically emails me that, oh, uh, um, we we uh, we we don't. We, we care so much about this, and, and we did not receive your last email. They're replying, by the way. They replied to the original email when they yeah. said they didn't receive the email. Yeah. We didn't receive your last email. We care very much about this. We're going to ask Kiev about this. Um, and, and uh, like, some other happy talk, whatever. So I write back, hey, thanks for getting back to me. Just curious, um, is any money that the U.S. government sent to Ukraine going to this city where they're, you know, undermining this agreement that we have with the U.S. and clearly not doing anything related to the war? They're building new condos um, on, a, on a cemetery. And she writes back this weird email saying, well... No money from the U.S. is going to Ukraine. We don't even get the money. It, it all goes to, quote-unquote, American interests. So I said, that's weird, because I'm under the impression that we just dumped billions, hundreds of billions of dollars on you. So I thought it was weird, so I wrote it up. What is it, it, this? The whole thing is very weird. What is this person really suggesting? Yeah, what is this person suggesting? This money is indeed going to, if not Ukraine. What are these American interests? So I think, like in in regime talk, <laughs> American interests translates to weapons manufacturers. Okay. But I, as I as I wrote in the story, um, let's say that that is what quote-unquote American interest means, Ukraine keeps getting busted for stealing the money that is owed to weapons manufacturers to make weapons for them. The AP just reported on Sunday, which is the day before I published this story, that a guy in Ukraine just got popped for, for stealing $40 million from, from the pot. And this was after the New York Times did a huge story talking about how their defense minister got sacked because he was involved in, in money that, quote-unquote, vanished, was the Times' wording. Vanished. So I'm not exactly sure how this cycle goes, but clearly Ukraine is getting enough money to steal it in their corrupt uh, system that they call a democracy. Mm -hmm. 
Why do you think it's, that... It's very bizarre. Yes. Why do you think the Democrats want to continue to give more money to them? And why are they insisting that they tie it with border money? Well, this is like... Okay, so for, I, want to, I want to separate those two questions. Although, actually, you know what? Maybe they're less separated than I initially... Okay. The Democrats are tying Ukraine money to the border. So they're tying our national sovereignty... And our border, the country that they ostensibly took a vow to act in the interest of, uh, a pledge, sorry, um, with this foreign nation that has a very sketchy little email coming in about how exactly they're defending themselves and how exactly they're using money and where exactly money is going, and that we have nothing to do with and no way to check because it's not our country. Um, and, and clearly through this whole saga, you know, if you take a 30,000 foot view of this weird, like back and forth, it's just beginning by the way with Ukraine, because now I have a million more questions. Um, and, and I have, and I have a lot of questions for the commission on American heritage abroad, which by the way, I'll give a little teaser of who sits on that board, um, a buyer of Hunter Biden's art. Mm. Um, I can't make this up. Um, the Democrats are tying it to this country, and this country clearly cannot answer basic questions in English from an American journalist. Basic questions. These are really simple questions. I asked, did any money from the United States go to the specific town in Ukraine? And all of a sudden, I got a huge screed back about how the money, the, the enormous amount of money that we sent, <laughs> isn't actually going anywhere. Mm. Or isn't, or isn't going where we think it's going, whatever. And the Democrats are so obsessed with this, with this country that is, has no real tie to our interests, like our real interests, that we can discern or that anyone can really give a straight answer on. And, and so, much, so much stake in that that they are willing to, to conflate it with our border, our border that's being violated 250,000 times in the month of December alone. Can you make sense of that, Mike? No. Uh, and well said. Without, without coming to some weird, sinister conclusion that you can't really say on air because you don't <laughs> know for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we um, <laughs> I came across, so in the last hour, we, we asked the question, what was Donald Trump's biggest foreign policy mistake? And I thought this is an interesting question because we're, we're living through Biden's foreign policy mistake. Uh, but we have a unique opportunity to have a real A-B test between the first three years of Trump and the last three years of Biden. And you get to choose which one you liked more. And we have the opportunity to pick and, and you get that again. So that's pretty neat. So, But I want to be very clear on what, on what Trump's foreign policy mistakes were. So we opened up the phones. Uh, I came across an article written in 2017 by Stephen Walt, who is a professor of international relations at Harvard University. You can spend $70,000 a year, Emma Joe, to get uh, educated by this fellow. So he wrote an article in Foreign Policy Magazine. Very not-so-humble scribes write at Foreign Policy Magazine. Very illustrious. I'm actually even too dumb to have ever read an article from <laughs> that magazine. Oh, it's very. Never in my life. Oh, it's like, I don't have uh, the IQ to even know how to log on. Go yeah, on. No, it's, yeah, it's like Rob Report and 
foreign policy. Like that's the one-two punch that that is way above our heads. So, th- but this this Harvard professor, of course, uh, <laughs> is is right up with it. So he it was August 2017. He wrote this article, and uh, he talked about how Donald Trump is failing. The wheels are coming off. It's a nightmare. He's a laughing stock. It's all the other. Uh, and he said, here are my five predictions of the terrible foreign policy things that are going to happen under Donald Trump in the next next three years. Um, and he gave five. And uh, none of them happened. None of them. But the last one I thought was pretty interesting. None. The last one is the biggest mistake that he could make. Harvard professor, International Relations, Foreign Policy Magazine. Biggest mistake he could make is arming Ukraine. Like that? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Far out. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Now, now, now. So I, I went back to the this Stephen Wall guy. This keeps <laughs> happening, though, to our veterans. <laughs> by the way, I don't mean to. I don't mean to interrupt you, but this this keeps happening. Uh, yesterday, Karine Jean Pierre, the 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 genius oh, in yes. the White House press briefing room, mm-hmm. the genius, so genius that it's actually sometimes hard to understand what she's. Saying, just <laughs> over your head. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Surely, um, yesterday she was asked because you know Biden said uh, said uh, obviously totally totally sincerely I'm sure that he would shut down the border if we got this deal through uh, this quote unquote bipartisan Senate deal that gives amnesty to five thousand illegals a day. Okay, if we get that through, he's going to shut down the border. <laughs> And somebody pointed out in the White House briefing room yesterday that that sounds eerily similar to the very racist rhetoric of Donald Trump, who said he would ready shut down the border. Um, what's the difference? And she was stumped. Fantastic. Far out. Far out's my, oh, I got to use far out. But, in this a just, but I just mean to say, like, this keeps happening where, yeah. where, you know, Biden does the exact same thing that Trump would do or did because, you know, broken clock. And um, all of a sudden it's it's just the only sensible thing in, in that we yes. could possibly yes. do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you moment. must. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How could you, how could you not arm Ukraine? I mean, obviously we got to arm Ukraine. <laughs> um, let's pivot a little bit to the border as you bring it up. Uh, this is an interesting talking point from the left and um, uh, they're getting away with it. But it's this idea that Trump is sabotaging the border and he, he doesn't want it to get fixed. And the Republicans don't want it to get fixed until the election so that they can you know, use it as an election ploy. What do you make of that, uh, that scheme? Is that true? <laughs> that would require some organization by the Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> they really think highly of them. Um, no, I, no, I think that the Republicans do genuinely, I mean, the Republicans need a win. Let's be honest. The Republicans are a beleaguered party right now in Congress. And it's sad because there was so much to be done. And, and I feel like obviously it's not over till it's over, but I've been watching this since the midterm election in 2022. And, um, I'm not impressed. I'm just a humble scribe, but in my capacity as a professional politics watcher or hobby politics watcher, I think that what's gone on with the Republicans has been quite underwhelming, let's say. And I think that if they could put some points on the board, like getting wins on the border, they would be happy to do that. Mm -hmm. I think that they just 
don't have the wherewithal to. I don't think that it's some master plan that the Republicans are putting something off until the elections so that they have something to run on. Let me tell you, they have plenty to run on. Um, they they don't have any interest in this going on. I can't find any discernible interest in this continuing for them. So, yeah, these, these, no, these... no, I think that that's too galaxy brain um, for for what's going on here. I think that that. They just are working with a very slim majority, and they aren't organized. So, if especially if you're working with a majority that has like what, like two people that decides every vote, um, you have to be extremely organized and and run an extremely tight ship. They clearly don't, mm. um, and they have people going in every which way. They have people going in every which direction, and they don't have leadership. Unfortunately, it seems that can that can you know, herd all these cats in one direction, and that's what you're seeing. Um, and the Democrats, on the other hand, are extremely disciplined. The Democrats are extremely on message. The word comes down from wherever, and the Democrats are basically in line. You have people like the squad who LARP uh, as opposition to the mainstream Democratic Party, but don't actually in practice do anything to undermine the Democratic Party and, you know, pursue progressive goals. So, they have that all together, and the Republicans, on the other hand, just don't. So, uh, no, I don't think that this is some grand scheme. Um, I think it's more incompetence, and and uh, it, it's very unfortunate because, as I said, the, the last numbers that we got, you know, Breitbart uh, reported, the Texas team reported that 250,000, I don't want that to be a buried lead in this segment, 250,000 border crossers in December. Think about that. That's a city. Yeah. Yeah. Since Biden has been in office, uh, the number of illegal immigrants is larger than 31 states. It's pretty wild. Um, I like I like your uh, I always like your starting point of inept. Like that should be the first like filter of of analysis. Always. Uh, Actually, let me ask you. When I was working at Fox, I had this colleague, you know, give you a little personal anecdote that'll tie it to some wise thing um when i was at fox i had a i had a colleague who was really clever and uh he used to say when you're torn between conspiracy or incompetence it's usually incompetence yeah <laughs> I think that's right yeah i really do think that's right yeah the actually, I, I have two of those i have two big picture questions so we uh yesterday we spent the first hour of the show and i forget how this came up it came up last week and i was like oh we have to do it and we did it on monday uh the afghanistan papers so we did a, a one-hour run-through of the Afghanistan papers. And that was one of the conclusions, like just how inept and just human nature. So many lessons about human nature and corrupt government and, and just lying to you, just constantly lying to you. And when I first read the Afghanistan papers after having been a supporter of the Iraq war, as, as many were, um, it was just a, it was an atomic explosion of cynicism in my soul. And... Every, everything I run through the filter of the Afghanistan papers. So we're told two Navy SEALs fell off a ladder and drowned. Mm. Right? Like, like, I don't, maybe, but it's got to be run through the Afghanistan papers filter. You as a humble scribe who deal with these liars lying all the time through their lying teeth, how do you, how do you view this? How, what, what's your filter? Um, that's, that's interesting. That's an interesting way of seeing things. I'm, I guess it would be the same thing, except I didn't have the phrase Afghanistan papers or that reference, but yeah, like the way that, the way that I deal with people like this 
um, bureaucrat at the Ukrainian embassy, for instance, yes. who's, who's just sending me things that are insane and don't make any sense. Um, <laughs> or I look at things through the lens of, is this conspiracy or incompetence? You know, I think that there's, there's some rule by some person smarter than me that basically is the most likely answer is usually correct. So if, you ha- if you're looking at something that doesn't make sense and you're hypothesizing what could be the truth and you have two ideas about what could be true and one is like this really elaborate scheme and the other is like, uh, you know, dumber but, but simpler, mm. it's always the, usually the simpler one. And um, I, I, that's kind of just how I try to parse through nonsense is when I know that I'm not getting the full story or I know that I'm getting BS, this is a family show, um, I think of it as, okay, what is the simplest explanation for this? And I'm going to proceed from, like, and operate from there before I land at the more elaborate answer that maybe yeah, that's, that's a wise more, uh, yeah. ne- more sinister or nefarious, you know, yes. because, because sometimes you go with the more complicated one, you end up looking stupid at the end. So I, I like to Indeed. build on what I know and build on what might make most sense to a rational person and let myself be proven wrong. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's a wise razor. Um, Milton, that's not as satisfying though. That's the problem, right? Like the elaborate one is always a more satisfying thing. I don't know why. I wonder what the human nature aspect is of like why we want the nefarious thing to be the case as opposed to the inept thing. But Milton, I'm glad it's inept. Milton Freeman said that it's like our, like our like the fact that the federal government is inept is our saving grace. Like we would be in big trouble if the federal government was good at their tyrannical impulses. Like good thing mm-hmm. we have a massive bureaucracy that can't do. Uh, what they would uh, actually want to do. Um, here's my other big question for you, Emma Joe Morse. Um, so I've been saying that we are uh, going to enter phase two after the Iowa caucus. Uh, phase two of the Trump campaign is, or the, the media's campaign is to not attack Trump as much as start to attack you. So they're going to train their attacks on people. And I did that with, I, when I was saying that I was talking about the media, what I didn't realize, but should have at the time, is that also means family. So I wonder what the the Morris family is like, if you don't mind me asking, because in the Slater family, I'm the only one who who dare and and who could possibly look himself in the mirror and support this monster of a man. Really? Yeah. My my dad died 10 years ago, so I like to think he would have it would have been dad and I. But uh, it is just me. And it was a bad couple years in the Slater family. Like I never bring up politics. I never talk about politics. I've never brought it up with anyone in my family ever. Uh, and it was like, like I was like disowned and then Biden wins and Oh, what are we doing for Christmas this year? And my wife and I were like, Whoa, 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 hold on. And we just never, we let it, let it sweep under the rug. Never talked about politics for the last three years. And then all of a sudden this weekend back at it out of nowhere. Wow. And it's like, how could you? Blah 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 blah. Uh, what's the wow. what's the what's the Morris clan like? Oh well, my family is actually quite conservative. Um, I was raised very politically conservative. Um, that's how you got this. <laughs> my my dad is a very outspoken conservative. I was taught, and like it, it turned. You know, there's some values of the conservative worldview that turn into like 
lifestyle thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I learned how to shoot when I was like 12 years old. Um, and, and that was always, you know, personal responsibility. It was like a huge thing and agency was a huge thing and, and civic duty was a huge thing when I was growing up. And, and yeah, like, I mean, I was, I was raised totally Republican. Um, my, my mom is, is less politically active. Well, really not politically active, but her personal opinions are pretty conservative. And then my dad is, is a very outspoken conservative Trump supporter. Um, my sister's are kind of whatever they don't really care and and their husbands are i guess moderate left but lean right on many things um but yeah no my my parents like my my family like my the people who were influencing me from when i was young are pretty hardcore and and that's that's how i resisted i think the indoctrination in university was going home and and even before university you know i would go home and my dad would sit down at dinner and say okay tell me what you learned today exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would come home with some, with some baddie thing that a teacher told me, like, you know, <laughs> the, the United States was so cool for dropping the atomic bomb. And then it's like, okay, yeah. you know, and he rolls up his sleeves and it's like, he would spend <laughs> every dinner time undoing <laughs> everything that had happened at school that day. And, you know, giving me his perspective. And I guess the, the maybe more patriotic uh, perspective of events that I was learning about America and America's history and America's current current state and and so I was raised to really like love our country, love our culture, love the West, appreciate that, and not only politically but in terms of you know the art and the customs and and the work ethic and mm. there was so much more to it than just the politics. It was really too about the culture. And, you know, the politics has changed so much, let's say since the early aughts when I was growing up. Um, but because I learned an appreciation for the culture and the history and the way of, of America that I, I think that I've been able to adjust to the changing politics and really keep this continuity of just like respect and love for the nation. And that was from my family. That was from my dad. Isn't that isn't every beautiful thing you just said there all the more reason why you should be ashamed to dare have this man represent us uh, as as a as a nation and, and around the world, uh, and here's here's a line I remember I got it years ago and I got it again. It's, it was wild. Like three years have gone by since I got this question. What would our founder father founding fathers say about Donald Trump as president, Emma Jo? You know, if you really want to, if you really want a deep cut Morris story, I'll give it to you that that. <laughs> Hopefully the audience laughs at this and I, and I don't get kicked off the show and, and a deluge of anger emails. But, you know, Trump, talking about Trump and his and his whole comportment and his vibe and whatever. Um, you know, my parents are big, are big deplorables. And my dad especially is such a deplorable and in every way. And um, when I was working at Hannity at Fox, uh, it, was, it was during the 2016 election. And... Um, the Access Hollywood tape comes out, and I'll never forget that night. It was very tense, as you, I'm sure you can imagine, in, in, among the Hannity producers in the Hannity studio. <laughs> and I call my mom the next day, and I'm like, do you think that it's over? Like, do you think that Trump's done? 
And they were always my gut check for how things were going outside in New York. Um, granted, they live in a metropolitan city, too, but they, they aren't reflective of that culture. They're much more reflective of, like, the sentiment of deplorables. And anyway, I call my mom, and I'm like, what do you think? And she goes, um, what? She's like, no, 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 it's not over. She was like, Dad says worse than that before 9 a.m. We don't care. <laughs> so, <Great>. um, <laughs> yeah. Great. Love They're it. great. Um, but, you know, and my dad is a gentleman, please, you know, to the millions of people listening. Yes. Don't think any, anything about my dad. He's, he's <laughs> a wonderful guy and, and totally polite and totally cool. But um, just to say that uh, I, I don't I think that Trump, for all of his character flaws or personality flaws or whatever, um, I don't think anyone in America is is too uptight for him um or at least not his not his voters and not his supporters his voters mm. and supporters are interested in what he's offering in terms of policy and what he's offering the culture of the country and yeah he's a little loose with his words yes 100 percent. but don't we all kind of have a dad who's a little bit like that not exactly like that but kind of not concerned let's say with politeness and political correctness you know, I think I think that that's a pretty common thing in America. And I also think that that doesn't even matter because all those dads have been getting dirt kicked in their face by the establishment and by the globalist elite in this country since the 90s, you know, with with NAFTA and with the exporting of their jobs. You know, if you want to talk about treating somebody in an undignified way, when they talk, you know, that's kind of what they're getting at when they're talking about Donald Trump's speech. I think that the most undignified way to treat somebody is to take away their livelihood. Hmm. You know, what is more important to the American man than providing for his family? Nothing, nothing, Absolutely, like honestly, nothing. There is nothing more degrading than not being able to put food on your table and not being able to give your kids the life that you want to give them. And it's deals like the ones that um, people like Joe Biden, Bill Clinton, George Bush, Obama have made over the years that have really um, undermined the American man and the American family and insulted them. Not Trump's talking. Come on. Mm, you know, yeah. so I think that that criticism is kind of decadent. And I think that it mm. misses the point of why people support Trump. I mean, I personally find him hilarious, and I've said this a million times. I think he is the funniest person in American politics, if not America, period. But but even if you don't like the way he talks and you don't find him funny, you want to talk about respect and, and dignity and all that. I mean, where's the respect and dignity of opening China up as the you know, number one supplier of everything yeah. and making That's Chinese it. slaves yeah. the ones manufacturing our stuff? Yeah, great point. Um, let me read you this. Uh, first, I love the use of that word decadent. That's perfect. Yeah, it is decadent. That's what it is. Um, so I sent this to my buddy. I was like, oh, you know, I just got attacked for an hour. <laughs> and uh, I was looking for him to be like, ah, oh, man, sorry, Slater. <laughs> sorry that happened to you. Blah, blah, blah. And he wrote back, I so look forward to arguing with my liberal relatives about Trump again. I miss it. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. So we kept talking. This is what he said. And I love this. He said, I'm fully activated now. I won't be the type of conservative this time around where I'm like, um, I like his policies, but not the person. I'm full-blown MAGA Tony now. 
I will start the conversational frame by stating that there is no one better in policy or character to run this country. And my liberal relatives will have to start with that as our anchor point. <laughs> I just love, yes. love that approach. Go uh, Tony. Yeah, as opposed to my, oh, like, oh, sorry, family. You're right. Uh, okay, I'll consider maybe George Bush. I wish we had George Bush back in the White House. Sorry, guys, you're oh, right. Oh, God, no. Like, I'm done. I'm done with that No, game. no. Well, that's like, that's it. And, and, and now, like you said, you know, we have the A-B test, right? And, I mean, first of all, Joe Biden is not a man of sterling character. And if you have any relatives who are wondering about that and think he's so cute and nice and whatever, you know, I, I please invite you to pull up my byline from the New York Post. It's all neatly chronicled all the ways that Joe Biden is not a man of sterling character, and he is not. He is one of the dirtiest people in Washington and one of the people most willing to sell the country down the river, no matter who it is, man, woman, or child, for a dollar. He is the, the cheapest suit in Washington. This is not a guy that is a good guy. Okay, And anybody who tells you that he's a good guy doesn't know what they're talking about or is lying. One or the other, because there is absolutely no angle where Joe Biden is a good guy. And um, not only that, but exactly. You have the A-B test. It's like, I don't really feel like this is a serious conversation, or at least I feel like you can have that conversation in a serious way at the dinner table without getting into a food fight with your family. And it doesn't have to be aggressive or antagonizing um, at all. And I would never suggest that people are act aggressive or antagonizing with their family because that's not nice and that's not convincing anybody. But yeah. I think that you can very soberly and sanely uh, have a conversation about why Donald Trump is objectively and by every measurable metric a better guy and a better leader than this clown and his clown administration. And they are all clowns. <laughs> Emma Joe Morris. Breitbart News Politics Editor. Emma Joe, always wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much. Have, Have a good one. Have a fantastic one. day. It's the great Emma Joe right there. I'm American made. I got American parts. Got Coming up on tomorrow's show, the great Senator Marsha Blackburn, who has a Senate hearing about the child sexual exploitation online, which is a horrific, horrific problem. And uh, she's about to, to rip the big tech CEOs into one, which is great. And we'll talk with Senator Blackburn about that and other things tomorrow. Apologize.